Uh, This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It can be found on page 902 in your pew Bibles. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered right. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> hey, before I begin, I should, uh, I forgot to mention in the prayer time, uh, many, many of you noticed that uh, our uh, church administrator, Dennis McCracken, is having trouble with his eyes. Not just a fashion statement, it, uh, he is having uh, some problems. I guess uh, his eye ruptured this last week which he didn't tell me when I talked to him on the phone. but uh, uh, And uh, they're hoping to drain everything off of that and eventually uh, get it back to normal. But if that doesn't work, then they have some other ideas. At any rate, <clears throat> he has heard all of the pirate jokes already, so there's no need to <laughs> cover that territory. Everyone got to him before I could. I had a whole list, and uh, he told me I couldn't share them, so... So here we have this very familiar story, the, the Good Samaritan. And in this story, uh, we see some religious leaders. We see some, first of all, we see a lawyer coming to Jesus, you know. And I thought about starting with a lawyer joke. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, Esther's here. and <laughs> I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> uh, but I will say this. That, that the same kind of lawyer jokes we might tell today, they would have applied in the first century too. Uh, it was easy to pick on the students of the law. And these were not lawyers. They were, they were kind of lawyers like we have here. That is to say they stood up and interpreted the law or they, they advocated for people in regards to the law. But on the other hand, they were a little bit different in that they were considered kind of students of of the law and so it's it's natural that this student of the law here might be wondering what are the 
the lines uh, we need to be worried about in regards to the law. So it's a legal question that the lawyer is asking Jesus here. So first we have this lawyer who's uh, approaching Jesus. And then we have these, Jesus telling this story about some people that are involved as well. There's a story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And uh, it comes on the heels of this lawyer who asked Jesus this very pertinent question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And this is uh, odd. If you look this same story up in the other Gospels, uh, it's more of a confrontation, and Jesus provides the right answer. But in this story, the lawyer provides the right answer. Very, a little bit different. Luke's switching it up. Luke has a reason for that because the lawyer is trying to justify himself, and he says, I know the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, oh, that's a good answer. That is the right answer. And, but the lawyer wants to go further. Well, just who is my neighbor? Because I want to know, who do I have to love? Who... Give me, give me the lines. Give me the list. Give me the do's and the don'ts that I have to, to provide, that I have to accomplish in order to inherit heaven. Who is my neighbor and who am I allowed to disregard? That's really what he's asking. Who am I allowed to disregard? Uh, and he wanted to show. He wanted an answer from Jesus so he could say, and this is what is meant by he wanted to justify himself, he wanted Jesus to say, well, you have to love every Israelite out there or every Hebrew brother and sister. That's probably the answer he was looking for. Uh, and he wanted to be able to say, well, I have done that. I've disregarded everyone else, but I have loved Every, every Hebrew person I know, I have loved that. That's probably where the lawyer was going with this story. But Jesus doesn't even answer the question. He says, let me tell you a story, which is what Jesus does. And he tells a story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now i got to say, this is a, this is a typical uh, formula for telling stories in the first century. It was, it was often... Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes when we read this, we think that the shocking notion in this story is that the priest, who should be the religious, you know, the the religious leader, uh, that he was, you know, the bad guy. He walked on the other side, or we should think that the Levite, who is also supposed to be a an upstanding public citizen, that that uh, you know, that it's shocking that he went across the street. But in truth. This was a typical formula. Just like it's, it's easy to pick on lawyers, it's easy to pick on the, the common people in Jesus' time would often make a point by saying there's a priest and they would pick on the priest and the priest would be the bad guy. There's a Levite who again is kind of a religious elite, uh, a, 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 kind of like a, you know, a, a community leader and it was easy to pick on them too. And he was the bad guy. But then the next, the next person in the formula was always an Israelite. Or just a common... In other words, just your everyday Joe, blue-collar, working Hebrew, you know, your everyday Joe. And that was always the hero, 
right? So you, it's kind of like, you know, you got a priest, a rabbi, and a Baptist minister. The Baptist minister is always the hero, right? <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> it's just, so it was a formulaic, it was a formulaic story. And everyone, when they heard, when they heard Jesus go, well, there was this priest walking along. And he ran across this robber, or this guy who got beaten up by robbers. Anyway, everyone knew exactly what was coming. Oh, then there's going to be a Levite, and then there's going to be an Israelite, and he's going to be the hero. But that isn't what Jesus did. Jesus said, and then there was a Samaritan. Now that is the bizarre part of this story, and the thing that sends everyone kind of going, what? What is that about? And it's because Samaritans, and I'm sure, you, I'm sure you know this. We've been going to church a long time. We've heard this story. You know that Samaritans and Hebrew people did not get along. In fact, uh, they were considered unclean by, Jew, by good, God-fearing Jews in the first century. And you weren't allowed to touch them or talk to them or do any of those things. That's why when Jesus talked to that woman at the well... It was kind of a double whammy because not only was he talking to a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman too. So, you know, Jesus was in a lot of trouble over that one. And uh, so, you know, it kind of begs the question, why all this disdain for the Samaritan? What, you know, what did they ever do? And uh, it, it kind of goes, it kind of depends on who you ask, right? If you talk to, if you were to ask a first century Samaritan, what's, what's the deal here? What is all this about? Uh, and they would say, well, we are, they would describe themselves, I mean, you kind of ask the question, who are these Samaritans? They would say, well, we are the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, who are Joseph's offspring. Joseph, you remember the many-colored coat and all of that business uh, in Egypt, and when Joseph died, his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, kind of took over his territory as one of the tribes, one of the 12 tribes. So uh, they are, in their minds, the descendants of Joseph. They were spared the exile. That is, when all the Hebrew people were dragged off to Babylon, these are the ones who were left behind, and they were spared the exile. And so they kind of developed, over that time, they kind of developed their own, um, their own theology around uh around abraham and all of that kind of stuff and they called themselves they didn't call themselves samaritans they called themselves israelites because they were connected to that same history now if you were to ask a first century jewish person in palestine what is the deal with the samaritans they would say they were colonists who were brought over from, from, the, from all over the Assyrian Empire to colonize Palestine. So basically, when Assyria pulled all the Jews out and sent them uh, into, uh, into the uh, northern territories, they brought people from all over to colonize Judea and thus to, to kind of take over Palestine with these Assyrian conquests. And the facade of Jewish religion comes from the teachings of captive Israelites who were left there. And, and so they have this amalgamized kind of religion uh, going on there. You know, I don't know what 
Uh, I'm not sure what, which one is true, but these are both versions. But you can imagine, at any rate, it, it, uh, you have this animosity. And in, the Samaritans claim some kind of connection to the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew elite reject it outright. Which you can understand if they were perceived as colonizers who uh, took over the territory after, uh, after they were hauled into exile. So Jesus tells us this story, and it's very familiar. And the shocking element is not that, you know, the priest and the Levite lack compassion, but that it is a Samaritan who is lifted up as the hero. Um, So this is significant not only because of the status of the Samaritans in Jewish Palestine, but also because in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus was rejected and refused entrance into the Samaritan territory. Word went ahead that that Jesus was coming to Samaria and an envoy was sent from Samaria to cut Jesus off and tell him that he was not welcome in Samaria. So this is, Jesus not only has a, a, uh, an ethnic reason to despise the Samaritans, but he has a very personal reason to despise the Samaritans. He was rejected by them, which only uh, emphasizes how incredible this story of compassion is as it comes from Jesus. But the question being posed here is who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to know who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't even actually answer that question. He says um, he he wants to satisfy the the requirement of loving his neighbor, and it's a good question, but Jesus never answers it. Jesus shows us, instead in this story, one who was a good neighbor. An extraordinary neighbor. But what Jesus does not say is, this is your neighbor, and that is not. He says, this is what a good neighbor does. And he shows this incredible story of the good Samaritan who takes care of this person in need who'd been, when when the people who should have been taking care of him rejected him. So what makes a good neighbor? I guess is ultimately what I'm I'm wondering along with the lawyer, right? Or, you know, what, what is it that Jesus is trying to convey to us? Jesus doesn't want to answer the question, who is your neighbor? Jesus wants to answer the question, what makes a good neighbor? This is what a good neighbor does. A good neighbor looks out rather than in, right? Martin Luther King Jr. in his final speech, he says that the, he's, he's talking about this very same story, and he says that the Levite and the priest looked at the beaten man and asked if I help this man what will happen to me that's what they asked the Samaritan asked if I do not help this man what will happen to him and that's that's what a good neighbor does asks what will if I don't step in what will happen to that person not counting the cost of oneself a good neighbor is generous. The, you know, the Samaritan here gave of his time and his resource. He, he, he 
wherever he was going, he stopped what he was doing, he picked this man up, he, he dressed his wounds, he rode him down to the inn, he paid for the inn for a few nights, and called for the doctor, and came back and checked on him, gave of his time and his resource. And a good neighbor takes risks. The priest and the Levite, they were not willing to risk whatever it was they feared from this man. The Samaritan was willing to risk whatever might being taken advantage of, even being robbed himself perhaps. This happens a lot for people who are willing to take risks. Sometimes they get on the losing end of that. Here's the crust of what I'm talking about today. This parable today serves as a theme for the ministry of the Christian church in general, but First Baptist Church in particular. We are called as God's people in Salt Lake, in the east bench of Salt Lake City, Utah, to be the good neighbor in our neighborhood, in this city, and in the world at large. And it begins... Just like our story, it begins with looking outside of ourselves and not asking, what will happen to me if I reach out into this city, into this neighborhood, out into this world, but rather asking the question, what will happen out there if we don't step out, if we don't reach out to this hurt and broken world, this hurt and broken city we live in around us? And uh, it begins with looking outside of ourselves. Who, who is my neighbor? And it begins with the generosity of spirit and grace. And I wonder how generous we can be in this. How much are we willing to give up to be a good neighbor? What costs are we willing to bear for the sake of the world out there? Being a church is tricky, i got to say, because on the one hand, we are here because we get fed. We are here, I mean, we live in, you know, for crying out loud, in America, it's like toothpaste, you know, you can pick your brand of church all over the place. If you don't like it here, you can go somewhere else, right? And there's like a million different versions of church going on today. But, and so we're here because somehow this, this place feeds us a little bit and we we get our cup filled and and there are things that we like about it and we feel comfortable and and yet we're also called to sometimes set aside our own comforts and our own desires in order to make room for someone else and for others to join us on this journey and so it's tricky sometimes because we're called not only uh, you know, I want you to feel fed and comforted and affirmed, and I want you to enjoy the traditions that are meaningful to you. And yet, at the same time, we're called to look outside of ourselves and be generous in spirit and grace. And it begins with being willing to risk. It is not a time in the world today to be timid. It is not a time for us to kind of hold back 
and hope that one day will you know that i got to tell you that I, and you've heard me make this case before but the church the christian church is on decline i don't know if you've been reading the papers but <laughs> the christian church for a lot of people are saying it's on its way out the this this won't be here much longer in fact a friend of mine a pastor in olympia washington decided to go look and see what the city planners were doing in his neighborhood and their 10-year projection they had written the church out of their 10-year plan i keep meaning to go down and see what our plans are but they had written the church out of their 10-year plan the church is in but and so it is now is the time for us to be bold and courageous and creative and taking risks and being willing to fail you got to be willing to fall on your butt a few times to get some victory going amen and uh, you know we here at First Baptist Church we got to learn to be generous with that when people mess up and fail or, or when something we try goes wrong and becomes a disaster you know hey everything is a learning experience and we get good information and at least we try at least we're trying and we're being bold so we got to be bold and we got to be willing to uh to learn from this here's here's where i'm going with this it's a beat battered world out there it's bruised it's cut up it's laying in a ditch it's on its last few breaths it's been robbed of every life-giving element out there it's a hurt and a broken world out there and if we don't stop and if we don't give of our time and our resource in order to reach out there and say there is a healing here there is joy here. There is new life here. There is new creation here. You don't have to be victim of that world out there. You can be in charge of your life here. Right? If we don't, if we don't get out there and, and be willing to give of our grace and our generosity and our time and our effort, if we're not willing to be uncomfortable to make room for other people and if we're not willing to take the risks and all that comes with it, you know, sometimes getting a bad reputation, sometimes falling on our face, not accomplishing what we hoped we accomplished, but being risky in it and bold and creative, if we're not willing to do that, I fear that we will we'll we'll miss out. God is moving all around us and inviting us to join all that God is doing. And like the Good Samaritan, it means getting up off our donkey. I almost did it. <laughs> off our donkey and spreading a little compassion. And uh, I'm confident and I'm excited, in fact. I don't know where that's going to take us as we look to the future but i'm excited because i 
Feel God's Spirit moving in this place. I don't know if you feel the excitement, but I feel the excitement. And uh, I think we're ready. I think we are willing to get out there, to risk much, to gain much, and to give beyond what we thought we were able to give of ourselves and our, and our grace as we move forward. I pray God's Spirit will indeed be with us as we continue to look for ways to be out there healing this hurt and broken world. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we have, we have heard this story so many times and today we find ourselves in the midst of it as we look around this world, as we look around even this neighborhood and we say to ourselves, there are there are opportunities for us to emulate this good Samaritan and to be the good neighbor you called us to be. May we be eager to take up those opportunities, not counting the cost, but only looking to the lives that are changed and transformed because of our faithfulness and your majesty and power and love. God, we thank You for all that You are doing. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.